want to be different. We're in the 13th week of a 15-week series. I don't know if you're still reading this book. Um, if you're not, you can just pick up at any time. We're in First and Second Peter, moving into John, and we'll be into Revelation here soon. But uh, it's just been awesome to read what God has for us. It's funny, last night, this is somewhat of just, you know, uh, a peripheral thing, but I thought it was really, really funny. Kind of fits into what we're talking about today in growing in our faith. But um, my son Caleb, last night we got home and Heidi said that one of his teachers, he's six years old, and uh, he was being disobedient in kid zone, which is his custom. And um, one of the teachers said, Caleb, you cannot do that in church. And my son, my six-year-old said, well, my dad owns this place. <laughs> and uh, there's a breakdown of logic there. We've still got to tell him I go to work, I, I lead, I don't own that place. And uh, it would be tragic if, if he was 18 and still had that same mentality and didn't learn that this is God's church and leading is different than owning and uh, that really I'm even serving. So just, do you understand what I'm saying? Like when you're young, you can get away with highway robbery, you can get away with murder because you're young, you're immature, you're piecing life together, you don't have a comprehension or understanding It's very deep or broad. And that's what hit me this week. I actually prepared a whole message. It's <clears throat> wonderful. It was on uh, anxiety. It was on the attack of the enemy from 1 Peter 5. But my brain just drew me back and my heart drew me back to 1 Peter 1 and 2, particularly a phrase in chapter 1 into 2. It said, grow up into your salvation. And the beginning of the text, and I don't know where the text is, but it, it's up there somewhere. I can see it, even if you can't. Um, it, do, are we, yeah, here. It says, uh, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. And ignorance doesn't mean you're just ignorant. It just means you just don't know any better. You're, you're small, you're a child, but, but you gotta grow and you gotta get rid of all of these attributes of, of the flesh and flush out the flesh and grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And, and we are just, in our consumer culture, we love to taste and see and eat and consume the goodness of God. And when we're, we've had our fill, we just want more. There's such a lust for more and more goodness and blessing. And God's like, well, when are you gonna grow with everything that I've given you? And I was thinking of so many of the passages of scripture from Hebrews, the author of Hebrews said it in chapter five where he said, by now you ought to be teachers, but, but you need to be taught the elemental things of Christ and you need milk instead of meat. When are you gonna grow up? James says, I want you to grow and persevere so that you may be complete and mature, lacking nothing. Paul said to the Ephesians, you know, I don't want you to be infants tossed to and fro back and forth by every wind of doctrine or teaching, but I want you to grow up into the body of Christ, mature into the head, which is Christ. And there's just so many passages that talk about growing up. I have a, a pastor 
of my heart. Every week I listen to a podcast and, and this is the guy, Erwin McManus from Mosaic Church in Los Angeles. This is one of the first books I read of his about 15 years ago. And then this is his latest book that just came out, The Last Arrow. He's written many in between. I just appreciate his treatment of scripture, his understanding of culture, his um, storytelling, his style, it just moves me. And he unpacked, I can't remember if it was a month or a month and a half ago, um, a passage in Galatians chapter four on growing up that I was like, that is one of the best teachings I've ever heard on maturing and becoming like Christ and what prevents us from doing that. And so as I moved into the week, I just asked Ryan and John, we came together, should we show this video? And, and, um, and I wanna show this today from Galatians 4, just gonna kinda come under the teaching of Erwin McManus, my pastor in a sense. And um, it's just been so cool to be in the services to hear him just share his heart and what God laid on his heart. So we're gonna just open our hearts to hear from him today um, from Galatians 4. So I, I've been doing a series called How Not to Be Stupid. And I, and I wanted to wrap it up. And I started realizing that sometimes we mistake stupidity for immaturity. Because if, if you do something when you're two, no one says, that's a stupid child. I mean, even when two-year-olds do stupid things, and they do so many stupid things, and, and they don't really get better fast. At five, they do really stupid things. At eight, they still do stupid things, but you don't think, wow, my child is stupid. You think, oh, he's just five. That's why he stuck his head in that bowl. <laughs> but if you think about it, if he were 25, it would be stupid. When he shoves all the rocks in his mouth and starts swallowing, you, you don't think, my four-year-old is stupid. You think that's what four-year-olds do. There's so many things that children do that are not stupid, they're just immature. And you know they're gonna outgrow it. But a part of the challenge in the spiritual journey is that maturity has nothing to do with chronology that you might be a brand new follower of Jesus and you are making the kinds of choices that accelerate your growth and you'll become more mature than someone who's been a follower of Jesus for 20 years because they've made choices that have actually cost them their growth. And so it's a, it's a challenging thing because you may have believed in Jesus for 20 years now, 30 years now. Maybe you've believed in Jesus in your mind all of your life but somehow you seem to be stagnant. You're not making progress. And, and I wonder if you're here and you feel like God is, is not living up to what he, he promised he would be in your life. Because I don't know if you've ever taken any time to read the Bible, but the scriptures are full of promises for you. In fact, there's so many promises in the scriptures that you'll find them to be incredulous, almost unbelievable. And you can actually rationalize that those promises can't possibly be real or for you. And a huge part of the reason we actually begin to stop believing in the promises that God gives us is because we don't seem to ever actualize them, to ever realize them, to ever live them out. So we actually conclude that God isn't giving those promises anymore rather than maybe we're not postured to receive them. You may be here waiting on God 
and not realize that God has been waiting on you. You've been maybe wondering why God hasn't stepped in and God's been wondering why you haven't stepped up. But I want you to know that it's not you waiting on God. It is actually God waiting on you and he is ready when you are. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. That God is ready when you are. There's a particular passage in Galatians chapter 4. And I'll begin in verse 1. It says, I want to tell you this. While the one who will inherit his father's property is still a child, he is no different than a slave. It does not matter that the child owns everything. While he is a child, he must obey those who are chosen to take care for him. But when the child reaches the age set by his father, he is free. It is the same for us. We were once like children. We were slaves to the useless rules of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son. His son was born of a woman and lived under the law. God did this so that he could buy freedom for those who were under the law. His purpose was to make us his children. And you are God's children. That is why God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. The spirit cries out, Father, dear Father. So now, you are not a slave. You are God's child. And God will give you what he promised because you are his child. This passage is full of so much promise. And it actually helps us understand why God promises so much and we receive so little. Because there's, there's a chasm so oftentimes with what God wants for your life and what you're ready to receive in your life. And I, I love that he lays the backdrop of this by letting us know you need to know who you are for you to understand how God wants to work in your life. And he begins and ends with this declaration. I want to tell you this, while the one who will inherit his father's property is still a child. And in verse 7 he says, so now you are not a slave, you are God's child. And God will give you what he promised. Why? Because you are his child. And again in verse 6 he says, and you are God's children. He keeps saying over and over again, you belong to him. You are completely his. See, everything that God wants to do in your life is built on this reality that God has connected us to himself through Jesus for a relationship. That everything that God wants to do in us and for us and through us is completely relational. And if God's going to do his deepest work in your life, you have to build your identity on this singular relationship that you are completely his, that you are a son and a daughter of God. Now, this is important for a number of reasons because have you ever felt as if you cannot figure out who you are? Have you ever felt almost like your identity is fluid and, and, and it's constantly getting fragmented and broken? The reason is that all of us form our identity by the forces that inform our identity. So what matters to us? Who matters to us? That actually begins to tell us who we are. And so some of you, you spent your entire life trying to become what you perceive other people want you to be so that they'll accept you. And so you spend your life trying to be what they want you to be, but when they realize that that's not who you really are, they walk away and you're left with nothing because you don't know who you are. 
because you abandoned who you were for who they wanted you to be and who you wanted they wanted you to be wasn't who you really were so now you don't know who you are and some of you keep changing your core identity so that you can be accepted and loved and belong somewhere and that's how you lost yourself so your core identity has to be in the one who loves you without condition who doesn't need you to become what you were never supposed to be to be loved but when you come to know him and live in relationship with him you actually become who you were always created to be this begins by knowing that you are completely his and maybe you just need to have an internal moment where you just say I am completely his because you belong to someone and in this belonging you find your deepest meaning some of you here that still live like your orphans but you've been adopted you're not just visiting you are family and you need to step outside of your sense of isolation and disconnection and go God I'm going to accept the fact that I belong to you that I am your daughter that I am your son and there's some of you you have such deep brokenness because you never felt like you belonged to the family that you came from you've never felt you belonged to the people you've come from you spent your entire life trying to find some place that accepts you for who you are except you don't know who you are so how in the world can you be accepted when you don't even accept yourself and God I want you to know that the way he relates to you is that you belong to him. You are completely his. And, and, and this is, for me, how we learn to begin to walk in this thing called grace. That you were accepted by God not because of anything you did. And so God will never let you go because of anything you've done. It's hard because humans don't act like this. You need to live up to the standards and expectations of the people in your life for you to maintain your status in relationship with them. And if you make the wrong choice, if you do the wrong thing, you will lose those relationships. And so we project that on God. There's no way God could still love me. There's no way God could still accept me. But I want you to know that once you open your life to Jesus and once you've given your life to him, once you've accepted what he has done for you on the cross by giving his life, as a sacrifice for your life that nothing but nothing can ever separate you from his love. He says, you are completely his. But then he goes on to say, I want to tell you this, verse one, while the one who will inherit his father's property, oh, that, that, that's a big phrase right there. The one who will inherit his father's property is still a child. He is no different than a slave. It does not matter that the child owns everything. Now, these are two segments of the same sentence that should really traumatize you. The child owns everything. It's talking about you. That you own everything. I don't know if you know how much you own. Because you may be acting like you own nothing when you actually own everything. You may be living like you own nothing, but you actually own everything. You may be living with a poverty mentality and a poverty posture when actually you have already inherited everything you need to live the life God created you to live. But he says, the child owns everything, but right before that he goes, it does not matter that. Wait a minute, what do you mean it doesn't matter that I own everything? It matters to me that I own everything. Do you imagine waking up at the end of your life finding out that you owned everything, but you lived your life like you owned nothing? Wow. Okay. So one of the things that we don't really sometimes get about God is that 
There's nothing God created that he didn't create to give away. God didn't create because he needed something. God was already complete. This ever-expanding universe that's bigger than us, it's too small for God. It's confining for God. It's like putting a size 13 God in a size 2 dress. There's just no way God can fit in the smallness of creation. He's bigger than everything he created. So why did he create it? He created it for us. He created it because God is a generous God. Everything God has created, everything that would be called his possession, his property, he created for you, for me. But it says, but it doesn't matter that he did all that. But before we get to the doesn't matter part, I want you to get to the everything is yours part. See, maybe you need to take a moment and just go, I am completely his. And let that sink into your life. But then you need to step a little further in and go, and I own everything. Everything you need to live the life God created you to live is already yours. It's already been given to you. It's already been purchased for you. It's already been provided for you, but maybe just sitting there because you don't know it's yours. It's all yours. Now, I I don't know what that feels like because my dad didn't leave me anything. I'll just be straight up. I never knew my dad. He never left me any secret property waiting for me. You never buy anything just to leave me so I could have one day and say, oh, this is from my father. Didn't even leave me his name. I don't even know what his name was. He didn't really leave me anything. And I think sometimes we project this on God, that God's like the father who abandons us. But he's not like that. God is the God who created everything, and he loves to give it to his children. He loves to give it to his sons and daughters. So, all right, wait a minute. So if we're completely his and everything is ours, why are we living in such poverty? Why are we living as if we have nothing? Why are we living beneath what he has for us? You see, I I think that a part of the dilemma is that there's a lot of ways to engage the scriptures and the truths of God. Some of you are actually living a principled life. See, one of the things I love about the scriptures is that there are principles in the Bible about how to live your life, and if you apply those principles, your life will get better, even if you don't believe in God. I mean, the principles in the scriptures, like the principles of generosity, the principles of integrity, the principles of forgiveness, those principles, they will radicalize your life, even if you don't believe in God. And there's some of us who believe in Jesus, but we only relate to Jesus on the principles, but we actually never move to a level of presence. And we think we've received everything that our faith has for us because we're living a principled life, but God wants you to live a life that's actually marked by his presence, not just his principles. God wants you to live in intimacy with him. He wants you to know his voice. He wants you to know who he is and to walk with him. He wants to be as close to you as it is to breathe. He wants to be as vital to your soul as oxygen is to your body. But that sounds kind of strange and a little mystical, doesn't it? See, I remember when I went and got my master's degree in theology, and we would study about Elijah, and we'd study about Moses, and we would look back at, at how God worked in, in, in biblical history, and, and the professors would say, well, God doesn't work like that anymore. And they'd say, no, that, that was a different time in history. See, but it, 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 it actually isn't that God doesn't work like that anymore, it's that we don't seem to work like that anymore. Yeah. See, we, we keep acting as if God isn't ready to do great things in our lives, but it's just that we're not postured to receive the great things he wants to do in our lives. You see, it's not God, it's not us waiting on God, it is God waiting on us. He didn't change when history moved forward. 
We just left him behind. So what is stopping God from working? It does not matter the child owns everything. Why? Verse 2, when he was a child, he must obey those who are chosen to care for him. But when the child reaches the age set by his father, he is free. It is the same for us. We were once like children. We were slaves to the useless rules of this world. And when the right time came, God sent his son. His son was born of a woman and lived under the law. God did this so that he could buy freedom for those who were under the law. His purpose was to make us his children, and you are God's children. That is why he sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, and the spirit cries out, Father, dear Father. So now you are not a slave, but you are God's child. And God will give you what he promised because you are his child. Now, here's the tricky thing. God will give you what he promised because you are his child, but he will not give you what he promised as long as you are a child. Because he needs you to grow up. He says everything is on hold. It's all on hold until you grow up. Listen to what he says again. While the one who will inherit the father's property is still a child, he is no different than the slave. So some of you here, you're still living like a slave. And you think, why hasn't God set me free? But you're confused. You're not living like a slave. You're living like a child. And you think you're a slave because you haven't experienced the power and wonder of freedom. But you're actually not a slave because the moment you entrusted your life to Jesus, he set you free. But you're going to live like a slave as long as you're a child. (laughs) I love children. And there's so many things that children do that are cute, right? I mean, like, you ever see little babies and they put their foot in their mouth? I mean, one, the agility is amazing. I haven't been that agile since I was like six months old. So it's so cute when a, when a little baby puts its foot in its mouth, but it's not that cute if an adult does that. Right? If you start thinking about it, there's very few things that children do that are still attractive when adults do them. And, and when your, your kid throws a tantrum at two, you just know that's the terrible twos, but when they're doing it at 22, that's really terrible. <laughs> Two. See, when, when, when she's 11 and she's completely focused on the mirror and thinks she's Cinderella, and is completely self-absorbed and begins to show the characteristics of a mean girl. Well, she's just 11. But when she's doing that at 27, it's not cute anymore. You know, when you're 15 or 16 and you're making stupid choices, everybody knows that you're just 16. You're supposed to make stupid choices. But not when you're 26 or 36 or 46. There has to come a certain point in your life where you realize I'm holding God up because I refuse to grow up. Now, now, and this may sound like I'm giving you a spanking, but that's only if you're a child. If you're an adult, I'm giving you your way to freedom. There's a different thing happening here. See, everything God has for you is on hold until you're ready to receive it. Wouldn't it be like 
Wouldn't it have been epic if, like, the day you were born, your dad bought you a car? One, it would be priceless. Because if I had any car built in 1958, it would just be worth a fortune, right? It could have been a Corvette, could have been a Porsche. I'm not picky. Either one of the two would have been fine. 1958 Porsche. That'd be pretty epic. But what if my father said to me, this car is yours, but you can't drive it until you're old enough. And then when you're old enough, you need to learn how to drive. And you need to study to pass the driver's test. And you need to go to the DMV and take the test. And then you need to come and get the keys and the car is yours. So it's yours. But you have to make the choices of an adult to get to have your car. But you don't want to go through the hassle of, of learning how to drive, and you don't want to go through the bother of studying for the test, and you don't have time to go to the DMV, but you want your dad to give you the keys. But he's so stubborn. He doesn't get you. He doesn't get that you don't have to go through all that process. He, he, he is so uncaring and so lacking in generosity, he won't just hand you the keys. He says, the car's yours. You go, well, if the car's mine, why can't I do what I want with it? The car's yours. But you don't get to drive it until you're no longer a child, until you become a man. Until you're no longer a girl and you become a woman. And so you, you spend your life driving, the, taking the bus in L.A. And other people are taking the bus because they don't have a car, but you're taking the bus because you have a car, but you just won't access it. Wow. And when people ask you, how come you're on the bus, you go, because... My dad won't let me have my car. So not only are you taking the bus when you could be driving the car, you start blaming your father and acting like he's not generous, but it's really all on you. Because you haven't made the decision to grow up. And then one day, one of your friends is in an accident, they need you to drive them to the hospital, but you can't drive them, even though the car is sitting there in the garage. Because you had not prepared yourself for that day when someone needed you to be an adult, but you're still a child, so you need something to drive you rather than you take those who needed you to take them somewhere. So there's some of you that are still living on everyone else's maturity. And you're blaming God for his lack of generosity, and God is saying to you, it's all yours. It's all yours. It's your inheritance. But as long as you act like a child and as long as you choose to be a child, you're going to live like a slave and it doesn't matter that you own everything. It doesn't matter at all. See, in, in ancient cultures, there's always a ritual that you went through that moved you from childhood to adulthood. There's a rite of passage from being a boy to a man, a rite of passage from being a girl to being a woman. And our, our cultures have lost those rite of passages. We don't really have them anymore. And a lot of it is because children are being raised by parents who are still childish. And so they're not seeing a reflection of maturity, just adults who didn't learn how to adult. So then children begin to project what maturity looks like. So they start taking on postures of adulthood that are actually signs of immaturity. So they start smoking when they're 12 because that makes them look mature and feel mature. They start drinking when they're 10 because that's what they think it means to be grown up. 
They start having sex when they're 13 because that's what they think it means to be an adult. And they start making destructive choices in their life because they thought that's what maturity looked like, but it was just an immaturity that they were imitating. What is your rite of passage where you said enough is enough? I'm no longer a child. It's time to grow up and be more. And, and if you haven't been motivated, maybe if you just realize it's all on hold until you grow up. See, maybe I'm out of my mind, but I think the same God that heard Elijah pray and bring fire down from heaven, that God is available to me and to you. See, I think the same God who called Moses to stand in front of the water and part the sea, that same God is available to you and to me right now. See, that same God that called Peter out and he walked in the water, that God is still calling us out. God has not changed. He's waiting for us to change. Because he's ready. He's just ready when we are. He's ready when you are. And maybe your life is on hold because you've enjoyed being a child and didn't want the responsibility of being an adult. Because you see, freedom comes with responsibility. It says, but when the child reaches the age set by his father, he is free. Now, we love that part. In verse 5, it says, God did this so that he could buy freedom for those who under the law. We want the freedom part, but we don't realize that with freedom comes responsibility, and we run from responsibility, and we end up losing our freedom. But if you want to be free, you have to choose to be responsible. And you have to make adult decisions in your life. And just a couple of adult decisions See, adults understand that choices have consequences and implications. See, when you're a child, you make choices and your parents will protect you from the consequences of your choices. But when you take on maturity, you decide that your choices are yours. And you take responsibility for the choices you make. You own the benefit of the consequences. You don't run from your responsibility. You embrace your failures and your mistakes. You take it on because it was your choice. You stop blaming other people. An adult takes responsibility for their choices, but an adult also takes responsibility for their relationships. See, when you're a child, you don't necessarily think through who you're hanging with. Your parents are supposed to pay attention to who you're spending time with. And a huge part of parenting is making sure your kids are around kids that you want them to become like. But when you're an adult, you're the one responsible for the people in your life. You're responsible for the relationships in your life, and you have to start making adult decisions along the way. You have to make decisions around your choices and your relationships and your resources. So I remember years and years ago, I gave my little cousin $20 because there was an ice cream truck driving by. Remember those? And, and I said, hey, go buy ice cream for you and all your cousins. And they went out there. It cost like $2 because it was a different world then. And when he came back with all the ice cream, I said, hey, where's my change? And he said, what change? I said, you know, the change to the 20. He was, well, what do you, well, that's mine. And I said, no, I gave you a 20, and I want my change back. He goes, that's right, you gave me a 20, so it's mine. And I said, no, no, I gave you a 20 to go buy ice cream. I want my change. And he started crying. And I said, I don't care if you're crying. I want my change. Because <laughs> I understood the mind of a child. 
You gave it to me, now it's mine. I can do whatever I want with it. That's the way a lot of us still relate to God. We, we want him to give us everything he can give us, and then we act offended when he asks us for something in return. You know, I, honestly, I, I get tired of people who don't give giving their opinions. I just thought I'd throw that in. Because I hear people say, well, I just don't know if I can trust the church. I said, but you've been coming for months and even years. They go, yeah, I just don't know if I can trust the church with my money. I said, here's what's interesting. You trust us enough to receive, but you don't trust us enough to give. And, and by the way, you should be far more careful of who you're receiving from than who you're giving to. And, and you see, I think a lot of us, we got in a pattern of getting away with childish things. So when you were a child, you were impatient. But God still kept working in your life, so you kept impatience with you. Because you didn't understand that it wasn't that God was pleased with you, it was that he was patient with you. See, when you were a child, you didn't forgive, you were just bitter all the time. And you just kept making some progress with bitterness and you didn't have to forgive, so you thought God was okay with that, but you didn't realize that it didn't give him pleasure, it was just his patience. See, there's some of you here, you, and people ask me, why don't you teach more on like sin? That's because we're really good at it. I don't really have to teach on it. And uh, we do it naturally. You know what it says here? When you're a slave, you live under the law. But when you're free, you're above the law, you're free. You see, if I have to moralize, if I have to tell you what's right and wrong, I'm just talking to a room full of babies. But when you're an adult, you don't need someone to try to manipulate you through guilt and shame, but to call you to your highest self. And so some of you, you've got some dark stuff in your life, some back closet stuff, and your life has still been working, so you thought it was okay with God, but it's not okay with God. You see, it's not his pleasure, it's his patience that you've been living under. And you, you need to move from living in his grace where you're receiving because he can be trustworthy to living in his blessing to receiving because you can be trustworthy. What does God want to do in your life right now? That he's just waiting for you to go, God, I'm ready to step up and be more. I'm ready to take responsibility for my life. I'm ready to be the woman, the man that you need for this moment in my life. Kim and I have been talking a lot about a phrase that we made up called adulting. We, we need to teach people how to adult, how to like grow up. How to become mature, stop being a child. And I, I don't want to be too hard on you. But I, I do meet people who say things to me like in their, they're in their 40s and say, where do I go get discipled? I'm like, how long have you been a Christian? 25 years. And I'm like, how can I help you? If you haven't become a disciple after 25 years, there's something broken. See, there has to come a point in your life where you don't ask, where do I go receive? You ask, where do I go to give? And I think maybe we've just been mistaught. Someone told you you're supposed to be a child all your life. But you don't need baby food. You need the real meal. You need to grow up. And serving is so much more important than receiving. And then I have people, you ever meet people, they just go like Jesus weird? You know what I'm talking about? They get all like hyper-spiritualized and it's all about miracles and signs and wonders and spiritual gifts and, and you know, just like all the spectacular. Like, you know what I noticed? 
that usually is one of the clearest signs of spiritual immaturity because we're drawn to the spectacular because we resist the substantial. Because we want the miraculous because we don't want to pay the price for maturity. And you, you know what the deepest, most profound spiritual thing God can do in your life is make you a person of integrity. Make you a man of character. Make you a woman of character. This is what it means to grow up. I, I love that it says and God places a spirit in us so that we cry out, Father, dear Father. That translation is Abba. And, and that can be translated Daddy. And I, I'm going to show you something. I, I've never said this out loud, but I meet people like, who say, uh, grown people going, I'm just praying to Daddy. And it creeps me out. It, it does. <laughs> I, it doesn't bother as much when it's women. Maybe this is like, you know, a gender bias here. But when a man, full-grown man goes, uh, you know, I'm just praying to Daddy, I'm like, dad. I love being called dad. My daughter, Mariah, is 26, and she can call me daddy till she dies, or until I die. I love when she says, daddy. I know when she says, daddy, she wants something. I don't care. <laughs> but if Aaron, my 29-year-old son, said daddy, I'd go, what? Boy, grow up. Be a man. I'd say, I would, not, I would not relate to him the same way I relate to her. And Aaron doesn't call me daddy. He calls me dad. Sometimes they irritate me. He calls me Irwin. I go, uh -huh. But, but I, I've realized that a part of the problem is that we get confused. You're always God's child, but you're not so, supposed to stay a child. Yeah. You're supposed to become mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I, I, this is what I pray for you, that you would make the small choices that moves you to maturity. Make the right choices. Own the choices you make. Choose the right relationships. Get involved in community. <coughs> invest your life in people. Let people into your life. Take responsibility for your resources. Some of you, you're still struggling with becoming generous or tithing or becoming a person who's sacrificial. Those are the choices that children struggle with. When you become an adult, that's when you begin to experience the presence and power that Jesus always wanted you to live in. Man. I just, I want to continue to grow and to grow up and to be different uh, today than I was yesterday. And I guess to, I'm going to just focus on Caleb because I'm seeing at age six so much in him. He's such a vivacious, imaginative kid so immature and um and that's okay because i have an 18 year old who um i've watched all the cycles of growth you know it, it was funny yesterday before coming to church i was in the bathroom getting ready before the saturday night service and caleb came in and said dad i know what i want to be when i grow up and he was watching me get ready for church he said i want to be a pastor he's six i was like oh in a second, he said, no, nah, I changed my mind. I want to be a magician. <laughs> what is that about? 
Now, for me, I didn't even really hesitate. I'm like, fine, pastor, magician, whatever, buddy. You're six years old. You can want to be whoever you want to be, you know? But if Cammie, who's at college right now, goes another couple years and we invest all this money in nursing and then she decides she wants to be a magician, <laughs> we're going to throw down. <laughs> right? You just don't have that option when you're 21 in your junior year and we're this neck deep in debt and you don't do that. And it, and it strikes me that on a spiritual level, we, we kind of just stay stagnant in a place of prematurity and immaturity. And I, I see that so much in Caleb, even the song we were singing earlier where it's, Jesus, Jesus, you make the mountains tremble. I was listening to him in the back seat about a month ago, and he was like, Cheez-Its, Cheez-Its, you make the mountains. He thinks Cheez-Its make the mountains tremble. But if he doesn't move to like, Jesus is not Cheez-Its, and he says in Cheez-Its name, amen, that's not going to be okay. When you're 17, you're going to look ridiculous. But for him, Cheez-Its are making the mountains tremble. He, he's not comprehending. We just need to keep working with him, right? Last Saturday night after the service, um, you know, I'm talking to people and my wife's trying to wrangle the kids together. It's like herding cats. And, and she finally hog, hogties him and gets him close. And then he runs away. And then he gets close and runs away. And it's just like what six-year-olds do, little, little boys. And... I knew something was wrong because I got home and Heidi's like, your son, he's upstairs in his bed. And uh, he, this, she gave me in a nutshell what you know, he was doing. And, and I went upstairs and I'm like, buddy, you know what happened? He told me. And I said, mom will tell you something and you just, you just forget and you run away. And I, this has ha been happening lately, Caleb. Like I'll tell you, the couch is in a jungle gym. Like you can't just jump on the couch, you're ripping the cushions off the back of the couch. It's a couch, not a jungle gym. And you'll be like, okay, dad, be, okay, okay. And then you do it again. I don't wanna hear okay, I want you to obey. And I said, you do this with your mom and you just did it tonight. She said it over and over again and you didn't obey. And he's like, I'm sorry, dad. I'm just a forgetter. <laughs> I'm just a forgetter, dad. And I was like, that's why I'm going to spank you. Because I want you to become a rememberer. <laughs> that's what sanctification's looking like for my son right now, is I'm a forgetter, victim mentality too. I'm going to become a rememberer. And it may take years and years of discipline, but I want my kid to grow up because right now he can forget and there's no butterfly effect and there's no collateral damage, but one day he's going to forget and it's going to be high stakes. I remember a verse growing up, about growing up. It was in 1 Corinthians 13 and actually talking about all these gifts that, you know, come and, and love. And it says, when I was a child... And I thought like a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. That God wants us to have childlike faith, but not childish faith. It's very, very different. And I love what he says that we can, so many of us here are just living under the blessing of God. He continues to do great things in your life. In theology, it's called provenient grace. He gives you grace and you don't deserve it and you are just living underneath that grace and you are confusing his pleasure 
with his patience. And he is being so patient with you, but you're not living in a way to bring him pleasure right now. And he wants you to grow up so he can say, well done, son, a good and faithful servant. And I just felt like this word today and growing up in our salvation and working out our salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul says to the Philippians, is so critical to our faith. For all of us in this room, no matter your chronological age, God, how can I grow up to access all those promises and those blessings that are on hold until I grow up in my faith? One hymn that came to my mind, I want to close the message with today in our service singing was a hymn, an old hymn that we sang growing up called Take My Life and Let It Be Consecrated, Lord, to Thee. And every day of my life, I, I just am, I am a consumer and I just want more and more and more. And it's about God take my life and giving my life away back to him and not just grabbing a hold of it and and the immaturity of, of that mindset. i just saying, take my life, God. Take my life. Use it. I surrender it to you afresh. I want to be like you. I want to be like Christ. And these verses are all about just, get, just giving your life to God, not being a person who's just always consuming and tasting and seeing that the Lord is good and not growing up in it. And so if you'd all just stand with me, we're going to sing a song and then... And, You're going to close in prayer and just pray that over our body as we leave today. God, help us to grow up in our salvation today.